Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room Podcast. In today's episode, we're delighted to bring you the latest installment of our Case Studies Podcast Specials, where we take a closer look at some of the cases that pertain to employment law, HR, and the world of work. And unless you're living under a rock for the past couple of weeks, you will have heard of the case we're speaking about today, which concerns the well-documented suspension of a teacher. And to take a closer look at this case today, we're delighted to be joined by Liam Barton, Senior HR Consultant here at Inside HR. How are you, Liam? Very well, on and you. Brilliant. And as always, we're joined by our very own Mary Cullen, Founder and Managing Director here at Inside HR. How are you, Mary? I'm great. Thanks, Owen. So let's jump right in. So Liam, I'll come to yourself first. Can you give us a bit of an overview of this case? What were the circumstances of the case? Why has it been so well documented? Yeah, it's a very interesting case, Owen, and it certainly grabbed probably more media attention than we would be used to in in, in employment law. The case surrounds a a teacher by the name of Enoch Burke. It it is a slightly complex case, so I'm going to try and make it as as simple as as possible. Um, Mr. Burke is a school teacher with a Church of Ireland school in, in County Westmead, and he's also a devout evangelical Christian. Now, a, an incident arose, or how how he came to be to be suspended was that he had objected to a request by the school to refer to a transgender child by their new name and to use the the pronoun. Now, while he's not the the teacher of the the child in question. He refused to comply with the, the request on religious ground. And, and subsequent to that, there was a verbal exchange of views between, as I understand it, the principal of the school and Mr. Burke. Uh, and subsequently, he was suspended on, on full pay pending an investigation into that incident. Now, the, the school own have been at pains to, to point out in the media and in their, their statements that Mr. Burke's Religious views are, are not the reason he was placed on sub- suspension, on paid suspension pending an investigation. The, the school have put forward that essentially the, the reason uh, for, for the paid suspension arose out of the incident and, and the verbal exchange, uh, which I understand took place at a, at a public school event, uh, and, and in particular the verbal exchange between Mr. Burke and the, the principal. So it's an interesting case. Subsequent to that um, high court proceedings regarding an injunction were invested by the school because I think what had happened is Mr. Burke had continued to show up at the school and continued to uh, attempt to, to teach wherein he was on paid suspension pending the, the investigation. So it certainly has caught the media's attention. Uh, there's certainly been widespread, in, uh, right, widespread interest in the case. And I think for us who, who operate in, in the world of employment law and, and HR, I think it'll be a very interesting case and a very informative case. And probably the, the Bank of Ireland judgment is seen as the preeminent case in this arena. And I think this will be very, very informative in terms of when 
you know, the high court rules in relation to the injunctions and how the case flows in terms of there's, there's a proposed disciplinary hearing that is pending in relation to what has occurred. So I do think it's a, it's a very, very interesting case and also highlights, I suppose, the importance on of any employer who's out there who's considering taking disciplinary action, considering suspension, considering anything in that arena is to look at their own policies and procedures and take advice and, and, and be careful regarding the steps that they take. And here's an example of a school that has ended up essentially in the high court. And, and obviously f- from, from the employer's point of view and from the employee's point of view, it's important that natural justice and fair procedures are observed all along the way and that, that people take advice at the right time. It's a bit of an unusual case, Liam, isn't it, in that um, Mr. Burke had tried to bring three injunctions um, against the school uh, to restrain both the suspension and the disciplinary process. And, you know, from an employer perspective, it's a bit of a nightmare, isn't it? You know, when you're when you're trying to deal with the disciplinary issue that you have an employee that goes to such extent. And I'm sure it must have been very stressful for everybody involved um, when he continued to show up at the school and take high court action against the school on the basis of their, you know, placing him on the paid administrative leave and the the potential disciplinary process that was coming up. And it was interesting that uh, Miss Justice uh, Eileen Roberts basically said that because the school had undertaken to give three days notice of any disciplinary action they were going to take, um, that it wasn't basically for the courts to get involved there at that point. Um, And it has resulted in, in Mr. Burke back in jail, which is quite incredible. And, you know, look, clearly not in jail because of the disciplinary process or his behaviour, but for contempt of court. And, you know, it's quite an incredible case. And and you could only have sympathy for employers trying to deal with this issue. For day-to-day suspension issues, you know, the worst I've seen is somebody just refusing to leave a building and, you know, HR and managers struggling to actually, you know, have somebody leave the building or, or escort the person from the premises. And, and that can be stressful and challenging in itself. But uh, high court action, I guess, is a, a whole different ballgame. In, indeed, Mary, and I'm, I'm, I'm smiling just talking to you there because how many times have, have you and I been on the phone to a client? And, you know, we're talking about suspension and what, what are the possible ramifications? What could possibly happen? And I'm smiling because on very many occasions, like, you know, it is possible, uh, that you could end up in the high court. It is possible that the employee could, um, you know, go for an injunction. It's extremely rare. Um, you know, you'd be very unlucky, but it can happen. And I think. Sometimes when I've had conversations with employers in that regard, they kind of look at me or they kind of talk to me and say, like, what's up with this guy? And it's every employer's nightmare to be on the front pages, to be on, you know, the the news media and the the radio media and, and, you know, certainly online in terms of 
decisions that they've taken. Uh, but that's what can happen. And it, it, it makes it so important that people, I think, consider, and I'm not saying this in, in respect of this, this particular case, but in an overall conversational sense, is it absolutely necessary to suspend? What do my policies and procedures say? Can I suspend someone on full pay? If I do suspend someone on full pay, how quickly can I get the matter that is at hand in terms of, you know, suspected theft, suspected bullying, suspected sexual harassment, whatever it is, how quickly can I get it investigated? Because, you know, time is of the essence too, that the longer the suspension goes on, the more it can be argued that it's detrimental to the character and, and reputation of the, the individual employee. So they're really serious issues. And I think, you know, we always try and advise employers to be careful, to be considerate, to, yes, think about the worst case scenario, but also you have to manage your business. And, you know, I think this is a, a, a shining example of why people should be careful in terms of a proposed suspension. Mm, absolutely. I think I suppose you've, you've both alluded to it very obviously there at the core of this case is kind of that suspension piece. So I suppose, Mary, to kind of set a bit of the scene on suspension itself, that kind of realm of employment law, I suppose, what is suspension, to kind of put it simply, and why do organisations kind of typically implement it? Yeah, so suspension is the act of temporarily removing an employee from the workplace pending an investigation. Um, and it's usually considered um, when the employee has done something that threatens the reputation of the organization or puts the organization at risk or puts employees or customers of the organization at risk. Uh, and it's typically done to prevent the repetition of uh, whatever has happened, whether that's behavior or conduct, or in the case of something like theft or fraud, to prevent further theft or fraud in the organization. Um, and suspensions in, in reality can either be precautionary or punitive. So in the, you know, case that we just discussed involving Mr. Burke, that was uh, precautionary. The idea being he was put on paid administrative leave pending um, an investigation and the outcome of the disciplinary process. But in most policies and procedures, um, when it comes to discipline, you can actually um, suspend someone without pay for punitive reasons, but it's really not done that often. Um, in, in fact, I don't think I have seen it done in 20 years um, because, you know, taking a decision to punish someone post-disciplinary process uh, by not paying them um, is, I guess, a, a probably quite an extreme response. And I'm pretty sure that, you know, going into the Workplace Relations Commission um, or, God forbid, further to somewhere like um, the High Court, um, you know, when you're placing somebody's um, ability to fund their lives in jeopardy, you really do have to have compelling case 
to do so. And in reality, whether you're looking to suspend someone pending the outcome of an investigation or you're suspending somebody uh, as a disciplinary sanction, you know, I would say employer beware HR practitioner, beware, you really have to think this through very, very carefully and ensure that you're on solid ground before you do so. Mm-hmm. I notice obviously this case has been particularly well documented and been quite high profile, but another case that you've alluded to earlier, Liam, I think you said it as well, Mary, was the Bank of Ireland versus O'Reilly case. Um, I suppose we're kind, of, we're kind of doubling up now, we're getting two cases in one on this episode, but Liam, can you talk to us a little bit about that and how it kind of pertains to the, to the subject we're talking about? Yeah, I can. Oh, no, I mean, I, I think the Bank of Ireland case is, is very well known and very well quoted in this arena because I suppose essentially what it did was it set out the bar in terms of justifying a, a, a paid suspension from work. And O'Reilly essentially worked with the Bank of Ireland. And what happened was there was a, a series of emails with pornographic content contained within which were circulated uh, within the company's emails. The, the difficulty for the bank is that there wasn't an objective approach in terms of the way they dealt with the disciplinary process regarding those who were included and involved in the chain of disseminating the, the emails. So Mr. O'Reilly argued that when he, he put his hand up and, and accepted uh, that he was a participant in terms of the, the dissemination of, of the emails. He argued very clearly I wasn't the only one and that the process under which the investigatory and, and suspension and disciplinary stages took place wasn't consistent and fair and objective and that he was treated disproportionately unfairly to other people uh, who had conducted similar behaviour. Um, and what the, the High Court, I believe it was, came along and, and basically gave simple rules, I think, on in relation to the bar that has to be met in terms of employers considering um, paid suspension. And I think it was very, very helpful because Mary and I would field calls. I remember I, I, I fielded a call from someone um, in industry and they were proposing to suspend this particular gentleman on, on full pay. And... Um, he had left his place of work 10 minutes early. And I'm kind of there, okay, bullying, harassment, no, theft, no. He's left his place of work 10 minutes early. Um, I, I don't think you would meet the bar in terms of, you know, paid suspension. So sometimes there's, there's a motivation of, let's make an example of a particular individual. There may be an agenda at play. So I, I, I really try and be very, very careful. And I, give very considerate advice to employers in this arena. And in terms of the Bank of Ireland case, it set out very, very clearly the basis or the, I suppose, the standard in terms of a paid suspension. And they set out basically four situations in which suspension would be justified. One is to prevent a repetition of the incident. And again, I suppose you're into the realms on of what's the nature of the allegation. So the nature of an allegation of somebody leaving um, work 10 minutes early to somebody being accused of a very, very serious matter in relation to bullying or sexual harassment are entirely different realms. Um, equally, the Bank of Ireland judgment set out that somebody should not prevent, or it should be 
possible to um, implement a, a suspension to prevent interference with evidence. So in other words, if there was a suspicion that somebody might cover their tracks or tamper with CCTV evidence or, or records or cash receipts or whatever it may be, that might justify a paid suspension. And equally, to protect individuals at risk from the alleged conduct. So if we take the example of bullying or sexual harassment, a company might have a difficult situation to to take a judgment call where, for instance, a female member of staff comes with quite serious allegations of sexual harassment. The company might have to think, well, look, these look like credible um, credible examples or credible allegations. So to protect other females and indeed this female at work, we may have to um, implement a paid, uh, a paid suspension for the, the person against whom the allegations are made. And to protect the employer's own business and reputation. And I suppose that's a very generic, um, you know, statement. So many employers will, will argue, well, look, you know, I, I, I felt I had to suspend Mr. Barton on the basis to, to protect the employer's business and reputation. And I, I suppose if Mr. Barton was a general operative working within a large factory, um, you know, it could be argued, well, you know, what reputational damage could Mr. Barton possibly between his, you know, his eight to four shift in the manufacturing environment have possibly caused? Um, so you really do have to be careful. And I think it's something on that I have found in my years that employers do rush into and they don't take time and sort of, okay, is there a way around this? Can I, can I change the, the employer's job duty slightly over the next number of weeks? Um, can I place him in a different department? Um, can he continue to work from home, for instance? So there, there are sometimes ways in which a paid suspension could be avoided. And that protects the employee, protects other employees at work. It protects the reputational damage of the company. And the employee can still be investigated and investigated comprehensively. But you don't need a paid suspension. So I think but my advice to, to employers is absolutely take caution. Paid suspension should be extremely rare in my view. Only when uh, the bar in relation to the, the Bank of Ireland uh, versus O'Reilly case have been met and only when it's absolutely necessary. So you might have a situation where the bar has been met, but I can find a method by which I can still investigate the, the allegations but not put the employee on paid suspension. And I, I would encourage employers to look at that. And if, the, if you end up at the WRC and say, well, look, we believe that the, the bar in terms of suspension was met. We further examined two or three ways in which we could avoid a paid suspension. We felt none of those things were workable. I think you're in a very, very strong position. But if you just decide in a knee-jerk reaction way, got a very serious allegation, had to suspend him within 24 hours or him or her, I, I think you may find that you will be questioned very seriously at a WRC or possibly at a more higher level form in relation to the actions you've taken. Definitely. And I think bringing it back to the the case of Mr. Burke, Mary, I suppose there is, and Liam's kind of alluded to it there, I suppose particularly with this case that we're speaking about, there's a lot of kind of intricacies, layers to it. You have your disciplinary process, you have your conduct, you have things like that. And I suppose although we hopefully there won't be an outcome in the 48 hour gap between recording this and the and, and when it goes out but I suppose they're the kind of things Mary that do affect an outcome when it comes to WRC when it comes to the adjudicating body that 
it's how you handle those different aspects of the case and the importance of each of them really Mary, isn't it? Yeah, well, up until relatively recently, you know, an employer could generally suspend an employee with pay pending an investigation as long as they had the right to do so in either the contract of employment or or the disciplinary policy. Um, but it has come under close scrutiny, uh, not just in the Bank of Ireland versus Riley um, case, but also now again involving Mr. Burke and, and his attempt at injunctions. And, you know, I guess, you know, the generally accepted position now is that even where the right to suspend exists in a contract or in the staff handbook that um, it will only be justified where it is necessary, as Liam says, to prevent the repetition of the conduct, um, to prevent the interference with evidence or to protect the employer's own business or reputation. And then you got to think that when you, it comes to suspending an employee, um, the decision to suspend uh, is linked with whether or not the act would potentially, um, you know, be considered gross misconduct. And if you aren't looking at gross misconduct in the first place, what would your justification be for suspending the employee? So, you, again, you've got to go back to your policies and procedures and consider what do we actually uh, consider as gross misconduct? What constitutes gross misconduct in the organisation? Um, what's our internal policy around this? You've got to look then at the information and the facts that you have gathered. So remember, you're doing this suspension pre-investigation. So it's not that you have to carry out a full fact find, but you will have been gathering certain facts or something that has led you to believe that somebody um, has done something that might be in breach of the organization's policies, whether that's theft or fraud, bullying, harassment, sexual harassment, um, violence in the workplace, verbal or physical abuse of somebody. You know, there, there's quite clear things um, that fall under that gross misconduct list that most of us have in our handbooks. You know, serious breach of a health and safety uh, regulation, consuming alcohol or illegal substances. You know, they're really serious matters. They're not just your casual ones, like Liam says, somebody uh, is not performing, so let's suspend the, the individual. Um, you've got to have quite a serious issue to look at. Um, and then you need to ask yourself, is, this a, is the suspension necessary to actually carry out the investigation? And in many cases, it's not. Um, and that's where employers run into difficulty. Um, and as Liam says, what other measures could we consider? And then you're holding a meeting with the employee, giving them the right to have their representation where you're discussing uh, the reasons why you have decided to suspend the individual from work. 
and then confirming it in writing, which of course is essential. And lots of uh, times we come across clients who went ahead and suspended because they thought they could, they found someone stealing something, certain they could suspend on the way to dismiss the individual um, and none of it necessarily documented in writing. Um, So don't forget the documenting the reasons for the dismissal uh, when you're making your decision, as well as in writing to the employee. And also you have to instruct the employee about what you expect. So you're typically telling the employee, you don't attend work, you don't log on to our systems, you don't communicate with your colleagues around this particular matter. Not that you can't speak to your colleagues, but you can't speak to them about this particular thing. You shouldn't approach our clients or our customers or our suppliers and talk to them about the reason you're suspended or the fact that you're suspended at all. Um, And then you've got to think about what are we actually saying to the people that normally interact with that individual on a day-to-day basis? Because remember, we cannot damage the reputation of the individual. So let's say, Liam, as you used yourself as an example, and Liam, everybody is just, you know, the absolute star performer here. He often uses himself as an example of someone who who might be disciplined or dismissed or, (laughs) uh, you know, haven't done terrible things. And that's just so far from the truth. But let's imagine, let's imagine uh, that is the case. Um, And he was to be suspended for something and he just disappeared out of our business uh, and our clients and our uh, colleagues and our suppliers have questions. Of course, they're going to say, Mary, where's Liam? When's Liam back to work? And we have to think about, well, what are we actually going to say here? Because we cannot damage Liam's reputation before we have carried out an investigation and completed a disciplinary process. Well, not that we would ever damage someone's reputation at the end of those processes either, but we have to communicate something uh, to the people around Liam or someone like Liam who's been suspended from work. And that's where you come into your reputational damage. Mm -hmm. That's where if I said something to a customer, you know, oh, unfortunately, Liam isn't here because we've suspended him. Well, how is Liam going to reasonably come back into work and, and deal with that customer? Yeah. You know, and, and sometimes I think people just don't think things through enough. They don't put themselves in the position of the person who's been suspended and think, how would I react if somebody walked me into a room um, told me that I'm being accused of something which I don't believe is fair and tell me not to attend the workplace again until until they hear from me. Um, and I think that in itself is a huge shock for individuals, irrespective of what they have done. Mm. Um, and that treating people with dignity and respect um, and empathy and kindness irrespective of their behavior is key. You do not assume that somebody is guilty um, before you have even started a process. And the suspension is only there and is only allowable now um, since O'Reilly v. Bank of 
uh, Ireland um, under very specific circumstances. So it's important not to forget that. Definitely. I think that so many aspects of employment law, and this is no different, I think the cost of getting it wrong, Mary, can be can be quite severe, not just, I don't mean financially, I just mean in, in every other aspect as well. So I suppose the big question that we always finish on, I'll ask both of you, Liam, I'll come to yourself first, is I suppose any kind of final advice for HR teams, organisations that might be either facing a situation that might require suspension or that they might be going to jump into suspension? What's the kind of advice there? What should they look out for? What should they, what should be in their mindset, I suppose? I think the first thing is know your own policies and procedures. I think one of the things is review what steps you have to take if you are going to suspend someone and comply with those. Because very often we find, Owen, that, you know, somebody has the right to do, put someone on paid suspension, but they need to do ABC. And they put someone on paid suspension, but they don't do ABC. So I'd be aware of the the background and the context and, and employment law cases and make sure your policies and procedures are robust enough and up to date to deal with this type of, of scenario. I'd echo what, what Mary said in terms of paid suspensions should be, should be rare and they should only be in specific circumstances. So you really have to look objectively. So if someone might be upset with an employee's behavior, an employee might have upset a very important client or not attended a sales meeting or whatever it is. But is that really justification for a paid suspension? Might be just the justification for a very, very serious and, and frank conversation. Well, whether it merits a paid suspension following by, by an investigation, I'm not so sure. So I would say review your policies and procedures, be clear on those, have it that a suspension is, is, is only in very, very particular circumstances for certain circumstances. And I would encourage, finally, all, all employers to know, can we avoid a paid suspension? We can still investigate this and come to findings of fact in relation to what's occurred, but do we really have to suspend the employee um, can they work in a different department can they work within head office can they work remotely there may be things that can be considered at that point in time that might save both the employee you know potential reputational damage and save the company a lot of money in terms of a paid suspension where the employee is is, is not at work there's things employers can do that can make life a little bit easier in a complex situation. Absolutely. And same question to yourself, Mary, any kind of additional guidance or, or tips from your perspective? I think um, Liam raises an important point on about the cost of suspension as well from an organisational perspective, because remember, uh, an investigation isn't something that you can dash your way through. You've got to be very careful. If you end up in the WRC or in worse again, the High Court, um, your investigation is going to be key um, and is going to be the foundation for any disciplinary action that you take. So it's not something that you can fly through in a matter of days. So as an organization, you also have to factor in, you know, how long might this investigation last for? Um, and as I've often said on, on our podcasts here, we have been involved in some really complex investigations that can go on for months, if not a year. Um, and if from an employer or HR perspective, you imagine that having someone on paid suspension for a full year, and sometimes it's in that person's interest 
to carry on being on paid suspension rather than allow an investigation process to close and a disciplinary process to begin. Um, because the disciplinary process is much quicker than an investigation process. Um, and often employees will delay uh, using smart solicitors, barristers, letters in their trade union, you know, and delay and delay and delay. And despite an investigator's best efforts, you may not be able to push forward in the way that you wish, at the speed that you wish, and within a, in the time frame you wish. So, you know, will you complete an investigation in a week? Absolutely not. If you do, I'd have real question marks about the quality of that investigation and about due process. Will you complete it in a month? Yeah, if you've got no other role in your organization and it's an internal investigation, um, maybe you could get it done in a month, but you'd be dedicating yourself to that and that alone. Um, could even an external investigator get it done in a month? Again, it would depend on the circumstances, the individuals involved, the amount of people to be interviewed, the witnesses, um, how much the, the person who is accused will fight against uh, an investigation process. So it's not straightforward. And I would say to any employer who's thinking about suspension uh, or any HR practitioner or leader who's advising the organization around suspension, you know, we really need to think that this could go on for way longer than we anticipate. And are we happy to incur that cost? Because Liam and I often get calls in from the, our clients when we're doing investigations to, to say, what's, what's the holdup? When are we getting this report? You know, somebody is on paid suspension. Um, and our response will be every delay will be detailed in the report. None of it is because Inside HR are tardy. It's because we're experiencing challenges, whatever those challenges might be with the individual concerned. So think carefully before you suspend. You make sure everything lines up and that makes sure you understand fully the implications of any decision that you might make. As I say, you don't have to be a multinational organization for someone to take you to the high court, as this particular case with Mr. Burke demonstrates. Now, he's defending himself um, and maybe it wasn't wise uh, for him to bring forward those injunctions. However, there is many different situations and circumstances and scenarios out there. And I'm full sure that that school would not have anticipated that they'd be splashed all over the media and in the high court with an employee in jail. Um, so very serious stuff. That's it. And although it's kind of well documented, it may, might be an extreme case. I suppose, Mary, it is something, look, it's the reality. It has, it has happened. So hopefully it's not sending too many shivers down the spines of HR teams and organizations everywhere. But if it is, you know who to call. So look, thank you, Mary and Ian, for a very insightful discussion. Uh, thank you to everyone for listening. We'll catch you next week for the next installment of our podcast. So do click subscribe if you haven't already. We do, as we say, we always have the ear to the ground for cases like these. But if there is any cases or even topics that you would like us to talk about in the future, do make sure to reach out. And as always, for HR consultancy services and management you can trust, 
get in touch with us today at insidehr.e. Thank you, Liam, and thank you, Mary. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Owen. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room podcast, the podcast series from Inside HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.